0: The last time we turned to the book of Kings was a couple of weeks ago. And in case you've forgotten uh, what happened that long ago, we saw last time, as we looked at Kings, that sin is tedious. The writer of Kings made that point for us in two tedious chapters. He led us through the reigns of eight kings seven of those kings ruled according to the same wearisome pattern. We were told they did evil in the eyes of the Lord, following the ways of Jeroboam, son of Nabat. In other words, they had nothing new to offer. Just more of the same idolatry, more of the same defiance of God that we saw earlier from Jeroboam. Worshipping false gods instead of the true God. It was a tedious pattern for you and me to read. And it must have been even more tedious to live through all of that. The one king who was an exception to the pattern just stood out all the more because he was an exception. And we saw last time, sin is always like that. It promises something exciting and something new, but what it actually delivers is the same old stale, colorless life it's always delivered. And we saw when sin is left to rumble on, things don't improve. They get worse. The second to last king in our list last time was called Omri. We were told that he sinned more than all those before him. We finished last time with Omri's son, Ahab. And we were told about him. He did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. So sin is not just a tedious cycle. It's a downward cycle. In Ahab's case, we were given some detail about his sin. We read this. He not only considered it trivial, to commit the sins of Jeroboam son of Nabat. But he also married Jezebel. Daughter of Eth Baal, king of the Sidonians. And began to serve Beal and worship him. He set up an altar for Baal in the temple of Baal that he built in Samaria. Samaria by this stage is the capital city of Israel. Which is the northern part of this divided kingdom. Judah is the southern part. So here is how Ahab did more evil than all those before him. He doesn't just allow his wife Jezebel to carry on worshipping her god Beal. Ahab himself goes all out for Baal. He builds a temple for Baal, And he does it in the homeland of the Lord's temple. In the land where the Lord has put his name, Ahab does his best to exalt the name of Beal. And the Lord will not ignore that. If you haven't already opened your Bible to First Kings, turn to chapter 17. That's page 358 in the church Bibles or in the larger print 551. We're going to read all of chapter 17. Remember chapter 16 has just told us about Ahab's Baal worship. And now chapter 17 begins very abruptly. Now, Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah, Leave here, turn eastward, and hide in the Kerith ravine east of the Jordan. You will drink from the brook, And I have instructed the ravens to supply you with food there. So he did what the Lord had told him. He went to the Carith Ravine east of the Jordan and stayed there. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening. And he drank from the brook. Sometime later the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him. Go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. I have instructed a widow there to supply you with food. So he went to Zarephath. When he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and asked, "Would you bring me a little water in a jar, so that I may have a drink?" As she was going to get it, he called, "And bring me, please, a piece of bread." As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, "I don't have any bread. Only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. I'm gathering a few sticks." to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go home and do as you have said, but first make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me. And then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, the jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry. Until the day the Lord sends rain on the land. She went away and did as Elijah had told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. For the jar of flour was not used up. And the jug of oil did not run dry. In keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. Sometime later the son of the woman who owned the house became ill. He grew worse worse. And worse, and finally stopped breathing. She said to Elijah, What do you have against me, man of God? Did you come to remind me of my sin and kill my son? Give me your son, Elijah replied. He took him from her arms, carried him to the upper room where he was staying, and laid him on his bed. Then he cried out to the Lord, Lord, my God, have you brought tragedy even in this widow I'm staying with by causing her son to die? Then he stretched himself out on the boy three times and cried out to the Lord, Lord, my God, let this boy's life return to him. The Lord heard Elijah's cry and the boy's life returned to him and he lived. Elijah picked up the child and carried him down from the room into the house. He gave him to his mother and said, look, your son is alive. Then the woman said to Elijah, Now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord from your mouth is the truth. This is God's word. And it introduces us to an immense character. Elijah the Tishbite bursts into the picture here. And for the duration of his ministry, Elijah will dominate the picture. When Elijah's around, kings fade into the background. And they get nervous. They're intimidated by this thundering prophet. He speaks with authority. Powerful things happen when Elijah's around. But one of the things that make Elijah so intriguing is the fact that he is so human. The same man who's willing to face down powerful opponents Also cares deeply about a poor widow and her son. And we'll see in weeks to come, there are times when Elijah is overpowered personally by fear and discouragement. He's not Superman. But the most memorable thing about Elijah is not his complex personality, it's the fact that Elijah is a man of just one idea. He's a man driven by just one passion. He believes there is one true God. That God is Yahweh, the God of Israel. And Elijah wants Israel to abandon all other gods and devote themselves to the true God. That is the fire that burns in Elijah. And we can't get away from it because we are reminded of it every time we say his name. The name Elijah means Yahweh is God. Yahweh is the personal name of Israel's God. It's the name he used when he revealed himself to Moses hundreds of years before this. In our English Bibles, the name Yahweh is translated by the word Lord, all in capital letters. So in English, the name Elijah translates as the Lord is God. Someone has said Elijah's name is his calling card. Every time this man is announced at the king's court, every time he knocks on a door, his name reminds everyone of his one passion. The Lord is God. And here in chapter 17, Elijah strides out of nowhere into Ahab's presence, and he says in verse 1, As the Lord, the God of Israel lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. And what you and I need to know is, this is a direct challenge to Baal, Ahab's new God. Baal was worshipped as a storm god. So he was understood to be responsible for the weather. He controlled the clouds and the rain. That made him responsible for the harvest as well. That is one reason Baal worship appealed to so many people. These were people dependent on agriculture. Mostly they were farmers. But Elijah's mission in life is to show there's only one God. He wants people to see that every other supposed God is a fake. And so he shows up at the palace in Samaria. The doorman announces to Ahab, the Lord is God is here to see you. And Elijah says to Ahab, I'm going to show you the Lord really is God. There's going to be a drought. And you can worship Baal till you're blue in the face, Ahab. He will not be able to end this drought for you. It will end at my word, Elijah says. I serve the Lord and his power controls the rain. That must have been unsettling for Ahab. But even more unsettling is the fact that Elijah then turns on his heel, marches out the door and off Ahab's radar. We'll learn in chapter 18 when we get there that Ahab sends men to scour the whole country looking for Elijah. But they can't find him. And in a moment we'll see why that is. Elijah has announced his one message. The Lord is God. And now he is going to show he's God. But before he shows that to Ahab, God is going to show it to Elijah himself. And then he's going to show it to a foreign widow. First, God shows Elijah what it means to say the Lord is God. It means he is God of all creation. After Elijah has delivered his message to Ahab, verse 2 tells us, Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Leave here, turn eastward and hide in the Kareth ravine east of the Jordan. You will drink from the brook. And I have instructed the ravens to supply you with food there. We don't know what Elijah's circumstances were before this happened. Was he a farmer? Did he have a business? We don't know. But now there's a drought coming and God calls Elijah to depend on him. God says, I am God Of all creation. I can bring a drought on the land, and at the very same time, I can provide everything you need, Elijah. But this is certainly a test of Elijah's trust in God. Ravens are scavenger birds, they steal stuff from you, they do not bring you food. But God says, all creation is under my authority. Even the ravens. I will use these scavenger birds to deliver your groceries, Elijah. In days to come, Elijah will stand up on Mount Carmel. And he'll call the entire nation of Israel to trust the Lord and to obey him. But first, Elijah himself is called to trust the Lord and obey Him. Before Elijah stands on the mountain and says to Israel, if the Lord is God, then follow Him. Before that, Elijah has to preach the sermon to himself. And this doesn't just have an application for prophets and preachers. Those of us who are parents... If we want our children to follow the Lord, if we want them to trust the Lord and obey Him, the first question to ask is Are we doing that ourselves? I expect my children to put their faith in God's Word. That's what I hope for. I want them to trust that He will provide for them, even when it seems impossible that He could. Even when obedience looks like it's going to cost them. But when my children look at my life, do they see me doing that? Or do they see me making compromises? Maybe obsessing over money. And lacking generosity. Maybe treating other people unfairly. Or bending the truth to try and get ahead? Do they see me living with crippling anxiety? Does my life display any of that? Signs that I don't really trust God myself. As parents, we can say all we like about trusting God. Our children are going to look at our lives and see how much we trust God. Before Mount Carmel, Elijah has to learn about following God himself. Away from the big stage. Will he choose to trust God's promises? That even the ravens do God's will. That God's word can turn scavenger birds into delivery birds. Well, look at verse 5. So he did what the Lord had told him. He went to the Kerith ravine east of the Jordan and stayed there. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening. And he drank from the brook. Elijah trusts the Lord, and he shows his trust by obeying. And as he does that, he learns by experience, the Lord is God of all creation. But God isn't finished. Now he's going to show himself to be God of every place. Look at verse 7. Sometime later the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him. Go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. I have instructed a widow there to supply you with food. Where have we heard about this place Sidon before? This is where Ahab's wife Jezebel comes from. Sidon is to Baal worship what Mecca is to Islam Sidon is the heart of Baal worship It's about 80 miles north of Samaria so it's outside the border of Israel that's important And God says to Elijah you've seen my power over the ravens in Israel now I want you to head up to Zarephath in Sidon and I'm going to show you I have just as much power in Baal's backyard The Lord is calling Elijah to go a big step further in trusting him. The common understanding of the time was that every nation had their God. But that God's power ended at the border. Cross the border and what you would find was another God would be in charge. That was how people saw things. But the Lord says to Elijah, borders mean nothing at all to me. My power is not limited by geography. And the Lord says he will show that by feeding Elijah in Sidon, just like he fed him at Kerith. But this time his provision is not going to come through ravens. This time it's going to come through a widow. And to you and me, that sounds a whole lot better than ravens. But that is not how it would have sounded to Elijah. In this culture, being a widow meant living in poverty. Women at this time depended on their husbands to provide for them. And if their husband died, well, there were no government benefits to help them. Widows lived a life of scraping around just to stay alive. One commentator says, if you could choose... Ravens sounded more dependable than widows. That's even more so in a severe drought. But again, we discover that Elijah trusts the Lord. Verse 10. So he went to Zarephath. When he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and asked, Would you bring me a little water in a jar so that I may have a drink? As she was going to get it, he called, And bring me, please, a piece of bread. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. I'm gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son so that we may eat it and die. Now we know the drought is not only affecting Israel. Baal can't do anything about it in Israel and he's not doing any better up here in his own home country. In what is supposed to be his territory. The Lord is God of Sidon as well as Israel. Apparently, Elijah is recognized by the widow as a prophet of the Lord, and she explains how little she has. And in response to the widow, Elijah, well, how would you describe his response? In verse 13, it seems a bit rude. He says to her, make bread for me first, then for yourself and your son. But it turns out Elijah is not trying to take the widow's last bite. He's calling her to trust the Lord with what she has. And Elijah has a promise for her if she will trust the Lord. In verse 14, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, the jar of flour will not be used up. And the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the land. Elijah says to her, if you will trust God with what you have, he will provide for you. And the widow does trust God's word. That's what faith is. We talk a lot about faith. Faith is staking everything on God's word. It's not just saying that we believe him, it's leaning our whole lives on his word. Hedging our bets is not faith. Saying we trust God and then refusing to obey him, that is not faith. This widow doesn't hedge her bets, she bakes the bread for Elijah, and as she shows her trust by obeying, God shows himself to be trustworthy. He keeps his word to her. Every day she goes to the cupboard and she finds enough to feed Elijah and herself and her family for another day. You notice God doesn't send a lorry here with a few months supply of food. He provides daily food. And for you and me, God does not promise that he'll sort out our issues six months in advance. He doesn't promise that he will sweep all difficulties out of our way. He calls us to trust him in our difficulties. And he promises new mercy for us each day. For the needs of that day. Faith is not something God calls us to just once in our lives. And then we're done with it. God provides for us one day at a time. We have to trust him one day at a time. And that's good for us. It keeps us close to him. In the case of Elijah and this Sidonian widow... They're learning that God's power is not limited by borders. He has just as much power up in Baal's stronghold as he does down in Samaria or Jerusalem in Judah. The Lord is God of every place. That's still true today. He rules in North Korea. He rules in China. He rules in Australia. He even rules down in the House of Commons in London. He even rules in your school or your workplace. When you go there, God does not leave you at the gate. He goes with you and he's just as capable there as he is here. You and I can trust God in every place we ever have to go. That's what Elijah and this widow have learned together. But one day, they're left wondering if there is, after all, one boundary that can defeat God. One day, the widow's son gets sick and he doesn't get better, he dies. Ian Proven says this is the ultimate test of the Lord's authority. It is one thing to rescue people from the jaws of death, but can he do anything when death has clamped tight its jaws and swallowed the victim up? He can act across the border from Israel in Sidon, but is there a border that he ultimately cannot cross? A kingdom in which he has no power. When faced by death, must the Lord, like Baal, bow the knee? The widow wants to know the answer to that. And so does Elijah. Verse 19. Give me your son, Elijah replied. He took him from her arms, carried him to the upper room where he was staying, and laid him on his bed. Then he cried out to the Lord, Lord my God, have you brought tragedy even on this widow I'm staying with by causing her son to die? Then he stretched himself out on the boy three times and cried out to the Lord, Lord my God, let this boy's life return to him. We don't know what the significance is of Elijah stretching himself out three times on the boy. No doubt it did symbolize something. But the significant point here is that Elijah is not a magician. He cannot conjure this boy back to life. He is dependent on God answering his prayer. God is the one with the power. And Elijah, you'll notice, does not tiptoe around the issue when he prays. He's pretty direct and pretty bold. What are you up to, Lord? I thought I was bringing life to this family. Are you using me now to bring death? What are you doing? Elijah is emotionally involved. He's frustrated. He's worked up. But haven't we also seen in this passage, Elijah is a man who trusts the Lord. His name is not only his calling card, his name expresses the one passion of his life. He trusts the Lord. Before Elijah cries out and asks God to listen, Elijah himself has listened to God. He has obeyed God. That came first. And now Elijah, the faithful servant of God, asks God to listen to him. And God does. Verse 22 the Lord heard Elijah's cry and the boy's life returned to him and he lived. Elijah picked up the child and carried him down from the room into the house. He gave him to his mother and said, look, your son is alive. Then the woman said to Elijah, now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of God, the, the word of the Lord from your mouth is the truth. This passage is not a promise that God will always do exactly what you and I ask Him to do. But it is evidence for what the New Testament tells us. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. When the book of James makes that statement, the example it gives is Elijah and his prayers. What we have here is not a man who is able to manipulate God. We have a man who lives for the glory of God. His prayers rise up from his deep desire to see God honored and glorified. And in that context, Elijah's prayers are powerful and effective. Before you and I expect God to listen to us, let's make sure we're listening to him and obeying him. And remember the big question here, the question raised by this boy's death. Is there a border the Lord cannot cross? Is there a kingdom in which he has no power? When faced by death, must the Lord, like Baal, bow the knee? Well, now we have the answer. The Lord is not only God of all creation. He is not only God of every place. He is God of life and death. This is the God you and I worship. Even the ravens do his will. No human border can keep him out. And even death cannot defeat him. Elijah and the widow are shown that truth here in a limited way. It's limited because this boy would eventually die again. But in Jesus Christ, God showed his power over death in an ultimate way. After Jesus' death on the cross, he was raised not just to a few more years of this life. The book of Hebrews says, the risen son of God lives an indestructible life. That is the gift of God to all those who trust in Jesus. Eternal, indestructible life. There is no power of destruction can destroy the power of God. Not even death can take us away from him. When he raised Jesus Christ, God the Father didn't just challenge death's power, he broke it forever. And today Jesus says to you and me, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. When Jesus made that statement, he immediately followed it up by asking a question. The question he asked was, do you believe this? So let's ask ourselves, do we believe this? Will you and I trust this God who commands the birds and all the rest of creation? Will we trust this God who can cross every human border? Will we trust this God who can cross even the greatest border of all? This God who has personally Gone down into death and broken the power of death. This is a God who has shown himself worthy of our trust. And if you and I do trust him, let's show it by living our lives for him. And let's respond by joining together now in praising him. We're going to sing a song that celebrates Christ's resurrection and then what it means for us. See what a morning.